My name is Valeria and this is the Academic Podcast. In this podcast, we get students and professionals to come and talk about their experiences in the hackathon culture. Here you can expect to learn about amazing people that hackathons produce as well as cool people behind them. Today we're talking to a recent graduate, the product designer at Facebook, Alex Thompson. Also, she's calling us from the UK. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's great to be here. So before we get started, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, my name is Alex Thompson. I actually, I was born out in Alberta, um, but I actually grew up in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, where I did my first degree in philosophy. Um, after that, I moved to Ontario, where I went to Sheridan. I did art fundamentals. Um, then I did IXD, and now I'm living in Europe, so moved from there. Um, yeah. It's a very long journey, and you have two bachelor's degrees. You started as a philosopher and ended up as a product designer. What are some main lessons you learned during this journey? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought process. Um, when I originally went into philosophy, it, nothing that I feel like I've ever studied was really that planned <laughs> um, necessarily. When I went into philosophy, I went to that university because it was in my hometown. It was nearby. Um, I was originally an English major, and that lasted for about half a semester um, until I realized that every class that I was really, really eagerly paying attention to were philosophy classes. Um, and so in the middle of the semester, I switched all of my classes right over to philosophy and <laughs> did four years of it. Um, what's interesting about studying philosophy, and I, I do get a lot of very funny reactions when I say that I studied it, in the degree, I kind of thought that what I would do was carry on into law. But what I enjoyed so much about philosophy, and I think what connects, and what I've learned from it that connects in IXD, or in life in general, is um, I'm not one of those people that can sit down and really say, oh, this is a great philosopher, this is a great book, this is a lot of those things I've forgotten over the years. But philosophy teaches you how to challenge your own assumptions and be more of a critical thinking person. Just in general, it teaches you critical thinking. I think philosophy is something in light ways that everybody is interested in and everybody should study, and a lot, of, a lot of people do in roundabout ways, but that was really the biggest thing. It's about taking these really complicated ideas, these abstract ideas, how do we convert them into human language so that we can communicate about them, and then how do we break them apart and discuss it? And I think that's really what changed me as a person. Studying philosophy didn't make me a philosopher necessarily, it didn't make me an expert in philosophy, but it did make me think a little bit differently. It also taught me um, a little bit less directly connected to philosophy, studying academics purely. By the end of that degree, it made me realize I don't want to be only an academic or I, I don't want to, I don't have the right brain for um, that kind of thinking. I need in some way to be more of a practical doer. So that's that was another lesson that I learned is sometimes creativity is not a baby tooth that will fall out over time. Sometimes it's a vertebrae and it's gonna be there no matter what you do. Um, so it was interesting. It was interesting studying something that was so focused like that, but I certainly enjoyed when I switched over to something more practical and hands-on. And why did you decide to study design and art? Yeah. The funny thing is I never stopped studying art. I just didn't realize that I was doing it until my fourth year. Uh, in my first few years, the real big difference, I think, with studying philosophy and studying IXD that I noticed was when I was studying philosophy, what that looked like was taking four to five classes per semester where 
basically it would be cycles of reading a lot and then writing a lot and then reading a lot and then writing a lot. We didn't do that in IXD so much. In IXD, it's more, you do quite a bit of learning, but half of it is physically go out and do the thing, actually create something, put them together. By the end of my philosophy degree, so I would say in fourth year, I was reasonably sure, and it took me a while to come to that conclusion, I was reasonably sure that I didn't want to stay in this field, and it was directly because I was so addicted to whatever kind of creative creative things I could do. My notebooks are just filled with like a sketch or a doodle on every page. I kind of, it was the thing that I kept thinking about while I was driving. Sometimes in life, the real calling that you should be following is the one that you can always come back to against your will. Um, and it was rarely philosophy. It was usually some weird design or, or thinking thing. Yeah, actually, in my fourth year, I worked as a waitress and I made the owner of the restaurant, more or less, made him let me redesign the menu for free because it was just driving me crazy. I, I did it in Microsoft Word. I didn't even do it in a design process. But it just made so much sense to me that when I was serving, customers kept being so confused about, well, is this price for this or is it for this? And it was like, design can solve this. Very simple design. I didn't think of myself as a designer. I just thought I know how to solve this problem. And also I had sketchbooks that I never stopped using and they were just filled with things. So I had a few friends, some very influential friends say, try it. You're young, you've got the opportunity. Try going after some kind of art and design and just see what comes out of it. I had never heard of interaction design before. Uh, I didn't even know design was really a career necessarily. I thought I had to be an illustrator or an animator, but I knew I had to try. I just had to try and see. I actually made a deal with myself at the end of my philosophy degree that, okay, I'm allowed to go study something creative, but every few months I have to look backwards and see that I've gotten better. And if I've stopped, if that's stopped happening, then I need to stop doing this and go back to something more sure. I have to go back to business school or I have to go back to law school. But if I can keep looking back every few months and see a direct, oh, I've gotten this much better, then that means I'm just going to continue getting better and better. So that was the, the deal I made with myself when I moved to Ontario, as long as I keep getting better. Wow, <laughs> what a journey. <laughs> and uh, are you saying that your product design thinking is unique in the way that you have this academic knowledge, like you have your, your philosophy degree behind your shoulders? I think one of the strong lessons I've learned is that in interaction design, in product design, in design in general, the best designers, the really fascinating ones, are the ones that have a different discipline they're bringing into the mix or a different passion outside of design. It's not just pure design for them all the time. They're obsessed with fishing. And for whatever reason, the lessons they've learned in being a fisherman their entire life does in some way affect their design and, and it brings a very unique perspective. So for me, when I first started studying interaction design, I had an interesting emotional issue, I guess you'd say, where I felt like I'd wasted a few years, that I, that I was behind everybody else, I was older than some other students, and it made me worry that, oh, geez, I wish I'd found this earlier. And then by the end of my degree, I realized that, no, I'm very glad that I found interaction design after philosophy, because those ideas of how do we take something very big and abstract? How do we try to avoid our biases or at least identify our biases? And how do we convert it into something that we can communicate and talk about? And then how do we make decisions by it? That's effectively what I do as a career now. It's system design. How do we take these big, strange pieces? How do we connect something as 
as literal and as regimented as technology with something as fluid and abstract as people and human reasoning and, and people trying to accomplish goals. And that's what philosophy gave me is it gave me just a different way of coming at the problem and a different way of approaching collaboration um, and a different way of communicating that I think is quite unique to me and me as a designer. But I think we all have that. So I guess what I mean is we shouldn't have every single designer study philosophy, but you as a designer, you should find out what you're passionate about that makes you unique and different and continue to study that, continue to bring it into your practice. You're saying that you're still studying philosophy at the moment? <laughs> not academically, not academically. I've thought many times about how I should I should pick up some of the older texts and reread them. I I didn't necessarily even enjoy it that much. My favorite parts about philosophy were not reading the really heavy texts, trying to determine whether or not reality is the way it is. I enjoyed the conversations that I had with people that were expanding on these ideas. Um, so in a roundabout way, I am still practicing my philosophy thinking in every project I do, but also in my career in general. It's no secret that I've taken a job with one of the biggest and most relevant and most hotly debated companies on the planet right now. And so that means that I'm quite often having to apply that critical thinking to the job that I'm taking and identifying why am I taking this job and um, what parts of the job am I proud of and how do I continue to bring that critical thinking to the work that Facebook does so that I can try to be the best I can be for that company, which is affecting such a big part of the world. So you brought the model. You didn't bring just uh, what's, what's inside philosophy, if that's correct, just to summarize. Yeah, I, I, brought, I brought some of the surprising things that I learned while studying philosophy. And what I mean by that is sometimes you study philosophy and you you realize how many biases you have. I remember at the, at the in my graduation party, I was talking to one of my professors and I made some terrible, dumb comments that I now cringe about, but I'm glad I did because it taught me something. I made the comments something like, oh, now that I've studied philosophy a little bit, I can figure out how to see the world without biases. And he said, well, then you're kind of missing the point. The point is, is that we can't see the world without biases. That's just how humans work. It's the only way our brain functions is by having several layers of bias. So that would be the most critical lesson I brought to design is that every designer, designers are humans making things for other humans and they're always going to be imperfect. And we have to find a way to recognize that that's imperfect and work around our biases or be, be aware of them. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. And uh, in a lot of different talks you've been doing for other students, other professionals, you have been promoting hackathons. It's just another different topic. People have different opinions about them. Uh, I would like to ask you what is your first, what, what was your first hackathon and why did you decide to get into hackathons? What was the story? Yeah. So my first hackathon was Arthritis Hack in 2017 or 2018. I did it with two other students in interaction design at the time. I had no idea what a hackathon was. When I, it was completely foreign to me when someone explained it to me. And I had those friends sort of convince me to do it because they said, no, 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 trust me, it's, it's a way that you might win something, but it just looks really good on a resume. That's kind of how it was explained to me. And I liked the idea of, of trying. It was, I'm not... I didn't think I was a very competitive person, so I didn't think that part would be interesting to me. But it ended up being arthritis hack, and that really helped me get on board because I, I understand, uh, I have some experience in the medical community, so I understand how big of an issue arthritis is. And so I was fascinated by spending a weekend trying to apply my skills to solving that problem. 
But by and large, it wasn't mission-based. It was me trying to kick myself out of my shell a little bit, stop feeling like such a small-time, small-town person in Toronto, and do something that felt big. And I still so vividly remember walking into the Mars Discovery District, which is where the that hackathon was held, and just being terrified, so scared of this idea of trying to do this, and like, oh my goodness, 72 hours from now, we have to present something, and what if we can't? What if we just can't present anything? And who are we to think that we, we know what we're doing? We're second year students, this is crazy. Um, but it turned out to be a really great experience in a, a lot of ways. So the, the answer to the question, why did I get into hackathons is kind of a strange one because I didn't, it wasn't planned. I'm just very glad that I did and that I took that opportunity. And was there a life-changing experience? Y yeah, I mean, at that hackathon in particular, something really clicked uh, because like I said, it was about arthritis. So it was about how can we create technology that might improve the lives of people living with arthritis, which is a very, very varied, um, the amount of people that suffer from it, it, it can be very light or it can be very chronic. And I didn't even have that good of an understanding of it before that weekend. So hackathons, you know, you work Friday night until quite late and then you take a streetcar home and then you sleep. And then I took the streetcar back and I came back at six or seven in the morning. I wanted to get there really early and get started. So I was one of the first people back in the hall and my teammates weren't even there. I was just sitting at a, a table trying to start working. And at this point, I was still approaching it as almost a school project. As if, as if the, the challenge that they gave us was not connected really to real people. And I didn't think, oh, it's not like anyone's ever going to really use this. In school, you kind of just keep finishing these projects and then archiving them. You don't see them continue out into the world. So I wasn't really thinking about the real world effect. I was just seeing it as like a video game challenge to overcome. And then as I was sitting there, uh, a woman came over and sat with me and she was a mentor. And at hackathons, they'll have certain mentors come in with real life experience to talk to you about your idea. And I remember feeling vaguely uh, kind of annoyed because I was like, oh, I don't have very much time. I'm panicking. I want to get my work done. I just want to get my work done. I don't want to talk to someone. And that's exactly why that hackathon helped me because she started asking, what was your idea? And I started explaining sort of sheepishly, this is what we're thinking about doing. And then it turned into a really important 40 or 45 minute talk where she showed me, she explained to me her history. She is in her late thirties at this point, but in her twenties, she was diagnosed with arthritis. She had actually moved from South America to Canada right before the diagnosis. And so she didn't have very strong English, but this diagnosis meant that it was so bad for her. She couldn't, um, she couldn't travel. She couldn't work most jobs. She slowly was unable to continue living a normal life. She couldn't date because it was just such a big problem that it made her have a hard time connecting with other people. And she ended up having pretty invasive surgery on all of her joints. So she showed me the scars on her knees and on her elbows. And it really, it's like that moment where I felt just cold because I understood that what we were doing, my first feeling actually was of shame and guilt because who am I this second year design student showing up and saying, I'm going to solve your problem. And this woman has been living with it for two decades. And so at first, what I wanted to do was leave. I just truly wanted to pack up my stuff and go. But then she said, based on your idea and hearing ideas like this, I think if I had, because our idea was to try to connect people who are recently diagnosed with arthritis to other people so they can learn about it and realize that they're not alone. 
And so she said that she really wished she had something like that when she was in her early 20s and that her life could have been radically different if she did. And so I went from this moment of, why am I here? I, I'm, I should not be here. I should leave to, I get it. I finally get it. I get the things that we're learning and how we use these desperate skills from Sheridan and from school. And you can combine them in different ways and partner with different people. And then we can produce things that can actually change people's lives. It was such an eureka moment that I drew, I do truly credit that moment with changing my career in general and understanding the true impact of design is really far and above what we realize when we're in school. People <laughs> whose problem you're solving or to connect with the people who have lived experience of the problem you're solving, which means either real clients and at Hackathon, your clients are generally the people hosting the Hackathon or sponsoring it or real real people who you're designing for, which often at a hackathon are mentors. Um, I would go so far as to say there is no good design without it. It's just that simple. This is the, the role of user experience design. And another thing that we don't typically, we can kind of get when we're in school, but it can be quite hard. That's why you see a lot of students do projects that are aiming at other students because it's like, hey, I have people right next to me. I can interview and that's good. That's a good thing. Um, but when we try to tackle these big problems that affect specific types of people, if you're designing without them, you're not designing for them. Um, and that does make it quite difficult, but it's also really, it's a big challenge. And even now I'm still not really over it. The Every hackathon I've done, in my head, I know feedback is the right path. And what we should do is get our idea together, go drag a mentor over and say, hey, here's our idea, what do you think? But inside you're like, I don't wanna get feedback because I don't want them to say, no, I don't think it's good. And then you have to change it at the last minute and you have to adjust it or you have to throw it out and start over. So it's really scary to get that feedback, but a hundred times out of a hundred times, when I've done that, the project has been worth doing. And when I haven't done that, we usually fail. But as far as I know, hackathons aren't about prizes and getting those first, second, and third places. It's about experiences. It's about what you gain from them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, I try to think about this a lot because I have people ask me about hackathons a lot. I think there's kind of internal benefits to hackathons and external benefits to hackathons. So when I say internal benefits, I mean, the first thing I said like earlier is that it helped me connect the dots of why I'm learning the skills that I'm learning and how to use them. It also really helped me identify what I want to do often by showing me what I don't want to be doing. Some of my best experiences at hackathons are the times that I was the most unhappy with what I was actually doing or the most excited for the project to be over or I didn't maybe necessarily enjoy the problem I was solving. And that helps me realize, okay, so here's some of the work I don't want to do. Hackathons are great because you can do one in commerce, you can do one in healthcare, you can do one for video gaming, you can do one in sports, like there's a, pretty much a hackathon for anything. And it lets you try everything in a really risk-free environment without it affecting your career down the road. But then there's also those external benefits, like networking is a huge one. I actually got my first internship at a hackathon, kind of, in a way. Um, at, at Arthritis Hack, actually, the CTO of the company I ended up working for was a judge at Arthritis Hack. And so I had the opportunity, I didn't know it at the time, but the work that I was doing was able to show him, here's the kind of work I can do. And then I reconnected with him after um, through a, we had a, a, a relevant um, person between us and I was able to reconnect with them and say, hey, remember me? I was at that hackathon. Are you, do you happen to be looking for any interns? 
And that's how I got my first internship at uh, Smile CDR. It's a clinical data repository. So working at a, a database company in Toronto as a startup. So it helps you connect with quite a lot of people if you choose to connect with a lot of people. Um, also, another huge external benefit is, I think it's safe to say one of the most valuable resources when you're a student is time. There's just never enough time. And we always say one of the best things you can put in your portfolio is passion projects, is work that you're not doing for school that no one's telling you to do, but doing it because you are really excited to do it. And it's also one of the absolute hardest things to really do as a student because it, it can take months to complete them. You're trying to cram it in while you're also doing work and you're doing school. You have almost no work-life balance. What a hackathon does, for better or worse, is it crams a whole project into 36 hours. So that kind of gave me the opportunity and to, to work with my team as well, if I had a team, to say, all right, guys, we're going to pause life, we're going to pause work, we're going to pause family, we're going to pause school, and we're just going to do this for and nothing else. So some of my best projects came out of just 36 hours, and then it was over, and I never touched them again. And so that's another very big external benefit to hackathons, networking, portfolio piece, um, industry experience in a very condensed piece of time. And have you ever used social media like Twitter or like LinkedIn to share your designs or share your professional experience or to talk to people? Because I know people have been getting jobs from just like connecting with recruiters or other people on other professionals. Yeah, Twitter, I've never been able to get into. I'm trying to. I've tried many times to get into it. LinkedIn, I do use kind of sporadically. It was very helpful when I was job hunting simply because recruiters do know to look on LinkedIn and it helps you keep your uh, it, can, it helps you stay relevant in the community in a public way you keep your resume up to date more or less usually I would use Instagram which is not the best place for getting recognition in terms of work it was for me more of a social thing I would say LinkedIn and my portfolio are the biggest things but nobody ever just finds your portfolio so LinkedIn would allow me to share, for instance, when we placed at Elevate, or even if you just go compete at a hackathon, you can get a photo of your team or a photo of your project, and you can share it on LinkedIn and say, hey, we, we're competing at this hackathon. Here's, here's the work we did. Um, my personal assumption is that you recruiters are probably looking not at your post necessarily, but at your profile. So keeping that up to date is important. You can add hackathons as achievements, whether or not you've placed in them, you can put them as an achievement that you went to a hackathon. Uh, recruiters understand how exhausting that is, how difficult it is, what a big, what it shows of your own proactivity and willingness to put yourself in difficult positions. It does not matter if you win. For a lot of reasons, it doesn't matter if you win. Placing in a hackathon is not an exact science. And if you don't place, it does not mean that your project was not good. And some people think that hackathons happen not to be very friendly and healthy environment. Do you think that that's that's right statement to make or it's wrong? I, I think it's both right and wrong. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. There's a lot to be said about the healthiness of doing a hackathon. I have gone quite literally over 36 hours without sleeping at hackathons. Um, eating kind of goes out the window. It, it depends quite a bit on the type of hackathon you're doing. Um, I won't name names, but I did one hackathon where we were not allowed to sleep in the, in the room that we were in. It was a fire hazard. <laughs> so we weren't allowed to sleep. So if we 
wanted to sleep, we had to go to a sleeping area, but the sleeping area was full by the time we finished working because we worked until about four in the morning. So we're like, wait, do we just not sleep? I, qu- I literally went behind a pillar and slept under coats because I just needed like 30 minutes. Was, that is unhealthy. There's nothing healthy about that. I also did a hackathon in the US where there were some organizational issues. So it was very hard to get food. And because I was in a city I was unfamiliar with, I had no idea where to go get food. Or So I was kind of just living off of caffeine for a very, I remember they finally, I went and got like a Soylent milk, like this weird protein <laughs> milk thing. And I was like, oh, at least I'll get some protein. And it was three or four in the morning. And I was so exhausted and I'd had so much caffeine that I swore no more caffeine till 7 a.m. And it was like, now with caffeine. I was like, no, and I couldn't, I couldn't drink it. So that's not good. There's nothing good about that. And I got to a point in fourth year where I just, I was like, I'm not doing any more hackathons. I had my job lined up. And as much as I love, I, I did kind of want to do one more for fun, but it, it's a difficult balance. The only thing I can really say is to try to be smart when you're at hackathons. Drink water continuously. There's no reason not to drink water. Try to work with your team to break up the timing. One of the most dangerous things with a hackathon is if you get really angry and really stressed out, like if your project is not going well and it's three in the morning and you know that you can either stop now and feel like you failed or push through and probably not get any good work done because you're exhausted, that's the most dangerous stuff to try to to try to watch out for. You need to police yourself and understand that it's not about um, just getting something. It's not about winning. It's not about finishing necessarily. It's not about measuring your success at the end of this hackathon. It's about being there and having the experience and learning. You can always clean up your project when the hackathon ends if you want to, but don't do not pass up on food. Don't do not pass up on water. Do not pass up on sleeping simply because you're you're desperately trying to win. Um, I've done it. I've done it. So I'm not going to blame you if you do. What I would say, if you know you're the kind of competitive person that's like, nah, man, I'm staying up until this API is integrated, that's fine. But don't do hackathons too often. Try to space them out. Don't start ignoring life for them. I, I like If you do four in the course of a year, that for me is the most that you need. And that's, that's a wonderful win. You, do, you don't need to be doing them every month. Um, some people do, and that's fine. But watch your body. It's a machine and it needs proper nutrition. And uh, have you ever participated or organized an online hackathon? Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's a really interesting element to this right now is I'm assuming that all of the hackathons will have to be online. Yeah. I've never competed in one that's completely online. I think that there's going to be inherent benefits and inherent drawbacks to that. Uh, The benefits are... For instance, some of the hackathons I went to, we weren't allowed to even be in the venue overnight. So you had to find a place to stay nearby or you had to commute. I don't even remember commuting sometimes. I'd be so tired and it'd be so kind of exhausting to pack up and go. So not having to commute, not having to worry about leaving is kind of nice. I've also hacked in some places that have very bad work setups or, or iffy Wi-Fi, and that can be really difficult too. So at least if you're hacking online, you can more or less control your environment and try to um, try to be careful. When the school starts opening up, maybe you can talk to the profs and see if you can get special permission for a weekend. They'll kill me if I say this. I don't know what's going on with Sheridan, so maybe that's not true. Um, but you could you could look at finding an environment. But I don't have any tips for hacking online. I can say with collaborating online, the most important thing is checking in with each other continuously and having open, good communication. So if all of your team, if you're working with a team and they're all spread out, make sure that every 
you know, set periods of time, you're checking in with what each other are doing, whether or not you even feel like you have an update. And if you're hacking with people you don't know, meet them before the hackathon. Have a one-on-one -on -one with them or have a meeting with them just to chat a 30-minute, hi, what's your background, what do you do? Make sure that you, you connect before you hack. Thank you for the advice. I think that's very helpful. And I know that during your third year, you and another student came up with an idea to organize a club. Would you be able to talk about it? Yeah, it was, there was actually, uh, Christina was a big part of putting the club together. There were a few other students involved uh, in it. There was a panel of several students that helped run it. Um, it Hack Hackademics was an interesting idea to get going. For me, the reason that I was so passionate about the idea of a hackathon club was, above all, I just wanted people to know about hackathons. Sheridan didn't really talk about them that often, and I wouldn't have known about them if someone didn't tell me. So it seemed great to just, like, if the whole point of the club, if the best we ever achieved was to put flyers everywhere that say, hey, hackathons, 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 that's a win for me. But beyond that, Sheridan is a really, really unique school in that it has this these types of programs like interaction design and the center for mobile computing and all kinds of programming and design at textiles. Like there's just so many um, different game design is an excellent program and they're all there. You have access to all of these fascinating people you can collaborate with and we don't. Um, and I don't blame them for it. It's really hard to do. It's hard enough to organize our own program, let alone branch out into other programs. But my long-term dream for academics, like the best it could possibly be, is if someday it becomes a place where these different programs feel equally welcome to join and participate and meet each other. So that if you have an interaction design student that says, man, I have this dream for this app and I have it all designed, but I just need someone to build it. They could connect with someone who's like, hey man, I wanna build it, that's me. And then they want it to be a video feature. So they have a, a TV and film student say, hey, maybe I can contribute film to it. And then what comes out of this is an amazing project born at Sheridan through collaboration that they can all use in their portfolios for an amazing goal. There's just so many groups of people at Sheridan who are working in silos and what they keep saying over and over again is, I wish I had a developer, I wish I had a designer, you know, and <laughs> they're there, they're there, we just need to find a way. So one of the, the challenges with academics is that it was born out of the interaction design students, which means that it tends to be 80% interaction design all the time. It's a very big challenge. Um, Finding ways to be well known to the other programs is hard and finding forums that other students are, feel welcome to join is also very challenging, but I think there's What's interesting about right now is everybody's online. So everybody's on equal footing. I mean, I'm sitting here in London, you're in Ontario and we're having a conversation very similar to anyone else I ever talked to who is even in London. So when it comes to engaging the other programs, if you guys do end up with an environment, uh, you know, somewhere like Discord that's very open and, and fair level and you do video rooms or whatever that people can join in on, it might, it might come out with some very surprising results. So what are some of the challenges, as you said, like uh, the group was pretty much, the, the academics club was pretty much exit students and you were trying to reach to other students from the other programs like mobile computing, like game design, as you said. Mm -hmm. So how did you try and do this? How did you try to solve this problem of disconnectivity between the different programs? What felt like a big challenge, 
uh, I mean, one of the, the overlying challenge that was constantly there was that we were just so busy uh, personally. We were all looking for internships. We were all trying to do our own schoolwork. We all had our own jobs and lives outside of school. So finding a dedicated group of people who are willing to put their effort forward was quite challenging. One thing that really helped us is we, <laughs> I'm trying to remember how it happened. When we went to go do Elevate, I think we put out a call because we had a few interaction design students and we wanted to go compete at Elevate, but we wanted to see if anybody from mobile computing would be interested in joining our team. So we posted on Hackademics, hey, anybody want to join? And we had two great, Warren and Corey, two great guys from mobile computing who were like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's join. And it ended up being such a great partnership at that hackathon. It was such a good experience. So we asked them if they'd be willing to come sit on our panel and work with us as we built Hackademics. That is probably one of the biggest things that helped was just getting the outside opinion. Like I said earlier, if you're not designing with them, you're not designing for them. So if you're designing a club that's supposed to be for all of the different programs at Sheridan, including the ones that are not at Trafalgar campus, but none of them have a say, they're not actually going to be a part of it. And they're going to feel like they're outside of it all the time. And that's a really tall order to ask students to do is to try to collaborate with people that they don't know when they're already so busy doing five projects at once. So at best, being aware of what's going on in the other programs can really help. But I think what we never achieved and what needs to be achieved is just some place that is open, open to everyone. For instance, when we were back on campus, we should have had, it was just so hard to organize. We should have had something like a weekly or biweekly get together that had maybe had a purpose or maybe didn't have a purpose. I would have loved, we talked often about having a, come share your experiences from the last month. So every month we would have a hackathon, uh, academics get together, where if you've even competed at a hackathon, you just come and talk about your experience, just to mystify the experience. Because if you are a hack hacker, that gives you an opportunity, even if you didn't win, to be like, hey, I'm gonna get some recognition for what I've done. And if you're not a hacker, if you're new to this or on the outside of the hacking world, you get, to, you get the chance to have it demystified a little bit. You can experience it, you can hear about it. And that's really helped me humanize what hackathons are and stop feeling so afraid of them because it's like, oh, what, there was free donuts at a hackathon? That's cool. I didn't know that was a thing that they did. And you kind of start to learn a little bit more because hackathons will come back. The world will come back to normal. Um, well, it'll come back to a new normal and we'll start having in-person hackathons again and we'll have online hackathons now. Um, and so I think that's something that I always really wish we'd done was having that opportunity to just let people communicate. We tried to do it a little bit on the, the hackathon, uh, sorry. We tried to do it a little bit on the Hackademics Facebook page where every time we heard of somebody competing, we would try to do a little like call out. It's like, hey, here's photos of them. They competed, they did this. We had the same problem where if you competed and you didn't tell us, we couldn't possibly call you out. So we were really often calling out our own friends or our own people that we heard of in our program. And that's not something I necessarily wanted to do. I wanted to branch out. Um, it'll grow, but that's, that's the key challenge and the biggest thing I think that's currently missing. So are you, are you saying that academics should try and uh, make this get together idea work now? I think that would be maybe one of the, the, the most valuable things that you could do for the school is giving people an opportunity to talk about the project. Again, it's easier said than done because people are not always comfortable sharing and um, it's like one more homework thing to do, like, hey, please show us your, your work again. Um, it, it wouldn't be easy to do. If there was a way to do it, that would just be 
be awesome and a way to incentivize it, but that would take some brainstorming is how do we incentivize students to put some time together or maybe they can just give the presentation they gave at the hackathon. Maybe it's standardizing individual hackathons. So if you know a big hackathon is coming up that anybody can compete to, you you advertise that one hackathon, see how many teams you can get to go to it. And then afterwards you have multiple teams from the same hackathon to talk about it. But again, easier said than done. And people's attention is gonna be quite rightfully split up this year into some maybe maybe not so focused on hackathons. And I certainly wouldn't blame people for it. Um, that might be the case is we just see a year where people are just not quite as interested in hacking. And so your challenge is how else can you support people in in preparing for hackathons or pushing forward. Um, yeah, it would be great to see if you guys could create a way that people can communicate, even if it's just a discord channel where people are like, hey, you know, meeting each other and and how do you instigate conversation when conversation does not need to be instigated is a hard sell, but yeah, there might be a way. Yeah, the team has been talking about uh, different workshop ideas, event ideas, not something like hackathon big, but something that we can organize in a very short period of time. It doesn't involve lots of planning, and it's mostly others' people effort as well, not like we have to prepare so much for it. So I think your idea is a little bit different, has a little bit different frame to it. It's a little bit different challenge, but I think I should bring up this idea to the team and see what what they think about it. Thank you so much. And just uh, one of the, I guess the last question I should ask you is that, uh, how did hackathons help you in a professional and personal way? Hmm, interesting. I would say the most obvious thing for me is that I do, I do truly think that my hackathons got me my first internship in a roundabout way, which I think was a big part of the reason why Facebook was interested in me for an internship, because I had I had education on my shoulders, but I had work experience on my shoulders. And whether or not you're looking for big tech, no matter what company you're applying to, if you can say, I've, I have work experience in my past, it's going to go a very long way. And that's a really, again, it's a really hard thing to ask students to do because not all of us can get part-time jobs. Not all of us can get design jobs in between second and third year, you know, whatever it is. Um, right now, especially, it might be difficult to get jobs, but hackathons are something that you can control. You can do them all on your own. It's almost like we're always pushing for what you should do. The best thing you can do for your portfolio is lock yourself in a room and do a mini hackathon for one night where you try to solve one small problem on your own. It's just so difficult to stay incentivized and to stay energized when it's just you alone and no one's going to see it and it doesn't matter anyway. A hackathon helps get you this experience that says on my resume, all they see is blah, 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 you know, past stuff. Hackathons. Oh, I get it. She's willing to go outside of school. She's willing to go one step above and push herself in an uncomfortable position. So it just changed the nature of my resume. That's the, that's the, one of the key things. Also, it taught me a lot about collaboration in good and bad ways, as in the types of ways that I am glad I collaborate and the types of ways I don't want to collaborate in the future, either because of fault of mine or fault of my teammates. So again, like in school, you have collaborations, but they sometimes feel a little hollow. The projects only last two or three weeks. Somebody doesn't care. Somebody else is doing everything anyway. You don't like the project. It's, there's all these sort of weird layers. 
at a hackathon, it, you're not doing it because you have to. Everybody's doing it because they want to be there. So you have to find a way to work together. And one of the key lessons that stuck out to me from a hackathon, it's obvious to say, but it didn't really stick with me because I came to Sheridan as a, I want to do everything person. Like I'm going to do everything. I want to, I want to do the writing. I want to do the designing. I want to do the coding. I want to do the product design. And hackathons really slap that out of me pretty quickly because you start to realize that in a 20 hour hackathon, I will complete 20 hours of work. A team of five will compete, complete 100 hours of work. That's a really important thing to understand in design because you are never going to be the whole team. And if you are, it's a really bad team. End of story. Unless you're making Stardew Valley, you're like not an outlier and it's not going to happen. So at a hackathon, you understand what it means and how challenging it is sometimes to break up work. But when it does work, you know, one out of 10 hackathons where you just get this excellent team where, man, they're doing the visual design, we're doing the coding, these guys are doing the back end, like everything is just piecing together. You start to understand what collaboration actually means in a way that, again, you don't often get until you get out into the workforce. And so you sort of take that forward in your future jobs and uh, it's a really good foundation for it. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I'm gonna ask you where people can find you. Yeah, so feel free to find me on Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram. I have two accounts on Instagram. One is just my personal account where I, you know, share mostly me trying to be funny. And then um, that is A-L-U-X-T-H-O. And my art account, which mostly lately it's just been illustration. I can't share the work I do now, so it's just kind of whatever I feel like doing. And that is userologist. Uh, you can also add me on LinkedIn. I am not there that often, but anywhere I'm online, I'm under the name Alex Thompson. And feel free to add me and maybe throw me a message if you're from Sheridan, so I'll recognize you. Um, but yeah, I'm always, always willing to talk, always willing to answer questions. So please feel free to get in touch. Yeah, and thank you so much for being with us. It was amazing to have you. Thank you so much, Alex, and have a good day. Thank you. It was great being here.